Let us pray. God of ancient truth and new life, be with us in this time. Help us hear your word and change us with your truth. Challenge us in our belief and reassure us with your love. Amen. The Old Testament lesson today comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you, so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the New Testament lesson today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. We've already had an exciting morning, more than I was counting on. It was back in 1983 that my parents moved into a house on Blue Skies Drive in Livonia, Michigan. And it was a good house. My brother and I grew up there. I learned how to ride my bike on the smooth asphalt of the neighborhood streets. My pet hamster once gnawed its way through my closet door in, in attempting a dramatic escape. I spelled uh, spelling words and studied state capitals and chemical formulas at the kitchen table while my mom made dinner just a few feet away. I moved away to college, but I returned over school breaks. After seminary, I visited when I was able. My dog Riley once got sprayed by a skunk in the backyard in the rain, then ran inside, and everything about that house and everyone in it stank to high heaven for about a week. It was a good house once it aired out. It was a good house, and we had good neighbors. Around 2012, a couple named Betsy and Guillermo moved in right next door to my parents. Now, I was living in Kansas at that point, but we met in passing a couple of times. I knew my parents enjoyed them as neighbors, though, because I would hear all about how Guillermo helped shovel the snow, or something cute the kids did, or the reason my mother missed my phone call as she was talking to Betsy in the driveway. Now, my parents don't live there anymore, and neither does that family. But even still, imagine my surprise when about a year ago, I discovered that my parents' beloved neighbors were related to Chuck and Sandy Walford, longtime members of this church. Chuck's sister's daughter is a faculty member at the University of Michigan, 
and was my parents' literal next-door neighbor. So Shandon, my family was connected to your family long before you and I ever met. We are all far more connected than we sometimes realize. The distance between us is almost always smaller than we think. And that's what Marcion, who is considered by some to be the arch-heretic of all heretics, managed to forget repeatedly. But if the distance between all of us as humans is smaller than we think, so too is the distance between someone history has labeled a heretic and someone history has labeled heroically holy. The word heresy comes from a Greek word meaning choice or thing chosen. And in the tradition of Christianity, a heretic was someone who made a theological choice that the wider church decided was invalid. But there's two things to note in all of this. First is that to be labeled a heretic, you actually have to be within the tradition itself. If you don't consider yourself a Christian, you aren't a heretic, you just aren't Christian. A heretic is someone who is a Christian, but who then makes some sort of errant theological choice and either defends a falsehood or denies a truth of the church universal. So our Jewish and Hindu and Islamic and atheist siblings, they are not heretics. And secondly, virtually all of the people history regards as heretics, well, they weren't just Christians. They were by and large good and faithful Christians. They weren't people who ran around espousing crazy ideas with the hope of dismembering the church or taking control of the church. They were generally really thoughtful people who had an idea that initiated a lot of really important discussion, but who in the end did come down in a different place than the rest of the church. But again, most heretics were genuinely seeking to help the church discover more about what it means to follow this person named Jesus, this one we declare to be the Son of God. So again, that distance between all of us is smaller than we think. And the distance between a heretic and a hero of the faith, well, that's generally smaller than we think, too. Because these heretics and their heresies were almost always trying to give us something that we, I think, find ourselves longing for quite a bit. Clarity. Most of the time, heretics were overwhelmed by some element of tension in the Christian faith, and they just wanted desperately to relieve or resolve that tension. They wanted to solve the mystery. Now imagine that most of us can relate to that. I imagine that most of us in this room or online can think of some point in our own faith development when we have thought, you know, this would be a lot easier if it would all just line up neatly. But the church throughout the ages and the church still today says that sort of tension 
is necessary. The mystery is essential. That God is inherently bigger than our human logic or understanding, and to try and reduce or eliminate that tension and that mystery, well, what that would do is essentially diminish not just our faith, it would attempt to diminish the God in whom our faith rests. But again, unfortunately for Marcion, that's the theologian for whom the heresy of Marcionism is named, Marcion just could not abide with that tension, particularly as he saw it in Scripture. To put it in the simplest terms possible, Marcion believed that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament were just too fundamentally different in nature. He was maybe the first to claim that the God of the Old Testament was a God of judgment and wrath, while the God of the New Testament was a God of love and peace. And he believed the difference was so stark it could not actually be the same God. And so he said, Christians should put their trust in the New Testament God and dismiss entirely the Old Testament God. The Old Testament actually shouldn't even be considered scripture to the Christian church, he said. And if you are starting to feel uncomfortable, good. Because that statement is deeply flawed, and your discomfort is in good company. Marcion's heresy was shot down by some of the most formidable theologians of the second century. Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, and Origen were all up in arms against his ideas. And so it may be important to mention here that being charitable towards the heretics themselves is not the same thing as being charitable toward their heresy. There is a reason Marcion is sometimes called the arch-heretic, because his heresy didn't just have the potential to lead us into wayward thinking, it had the potential to be deeply dangerous and damaging for people's well-being. And even though the United Church Universal has said no to Marcionism time and time again, every time you hear someone say or you are tempted to think that Old Testament God seems awfully harsh or that New Testament God seems loving or that Old Testament God is all about the law, that New Testament God is about the gospel, I like that one better. All of that is a lingering trace of Marcion's legacy, and it is deeply and theologically and Christologically wrong. Marcion pointed to passages like the one Mary Catherine read from Exodus and said that a God who is present in thunder and lightning and smoke is unbelievable and inconsistent. A God who would make people tremble and fear, he said, could not be the same God who speaks of love and kindness and comfort and sacrifices his own life on behalf of ours. I am tempted to suggest that these views mean he might not have actually read the whole Bible. Maybe he read it like Heather. 
because the Old Testament tells us of a God who makes a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and a God who rescues Jonah from the belly of a whale, a God who speaks of doing kindness and loving mercy and walking humbly, a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a God who shields us in the comfort of an eagle's wing, a God who cares for us like a mother hen, a God who is committed to justice because justice is love that is laced up its shoes. And the New Testament does in fact tell us of a Jesus who has a tantrum in the temple and a Jesus who flips over tables when he's angry a Jesus who warns of judgment on more than one occasion, a Jesus who routinely asks his followers why, for the love of God, can't they remember everything he's teaching them, a Jesus whose own deep commitment to love means he keeps pointing out all the things we need to do better. There is harshness in the Old Testament, just as there is in the New and there is so much love in the New Testament, but no more so than there is in the Old. There are differences, but there is enormous continuity. God has been working since the beginning to bring redemption to a fallen creation. That is a long and ongoing story, a story that we Christians did not start. It's a story that has graciously swept us up inside of it. I believe that at his core, Marcion was committed to a story about the astonishing love of God. But in his fervor to prove it, he did quite a bit of damage, perpetually touting the superiority of the New Testament God over the Old Testament God leads to touting the superiority of the Christian God over the Jewish God, and that, in some of our very darkest days, has led to touting the superiority of Christian people over Jewish people. Theology is intellectual on one hand, but it can also be about life and death. What we believe about people informs how we treat people. And how we treat people is a deeply practical and urgent, while also theological, matter. I said earlier that the distance between us is almost always smaller than we think. When our understanding of the gospel or our understanding of scripture, take any part of it you like, when our understanding of that holy word causes us to think or act otherwise, we have gone astray and we have become heretics. We have misappropriated the book we call holy and true fidelity to Jesus Christ and his church would require us to reevaluate because the distance between us as humans is small. And the distance between heresy and holiness, for better or worse, that distance can be small too. But the distance between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, that distance does not exist. 
It is one and the same God. And distance is actually the one thing God cannot and will not abide. That is why God came to this earth, wrapped up in flesh and walked on the same ground we walk upon, to get rid of that distance, to eliminate it entirely, and dismantle the distance between justice and injustice, rich and poor, slave and free, male and female, hungry and satisfied, powerful and powerless. God's love can survive distance, but it is always seeking to overcome it. God's highest form of love is justice, and God's highest justice is absolute and unconditional love. That's where Marcion chose to get it wrong over and over again. And that's where we, every day, have the chance to choose rightly. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.